Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Heavenly Father, you say that you inhabit the praises of your people. Receive then, Father, what we present before you. And we ask that you will turn this and in turn bless us with the anointing and the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you will saturate the hearts of every person listening here this morning, that they will be touched and ever moved from your Holy Spirit, and that no one will leave this place without saying that they've been touched by your Spirit, and they know something now that they haven't known before. May you be glorified in this. May the name of our Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up. And as you inhabit the praises of your people, we praise you this morning and give you a praise offering. And let's do this, that we give God our praise offering. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you very much to the band, Molly, Mari. Marie, should I rather say, thank you very much, everyone, for being here. It is always wonderful to be in the house of God. I'm always touched by the disciples. It is they who picked it up when they said, when they saw Jesus in the temple and how he was turning the tables, it is they, it is written, it is they who was remembering God's word that says, the zeal of my father's house consumes me. They remembered it because they saw it. You know, we live in a very, very dangerous world. The world has gone crazy. That is just a fact. The world has gone absolutely crazy. But in spite of this, there's nothing that we need to fear. Because you see, a kingdom is coming. And it is not of this world. If you stay the course, if you stay the course, there's nothing that you need to fear what this world has in line for us because God is still on the throne. He has not abdicated His throne. He has not moved away from it. And you and I are still who God says whom we are. I want to read out of 2 Peter 1 verses 10 and 11 just for now as it relates to the sermon topic this morning. It says in the ESV translation, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's word is still what it says it is. 27% of this we know is prophetic. It speaks of a coming Savior that would defy this world, beat sin and death so that we could live. It speaks of a Jesus that is coming back to rapture His church. It speaks of a second coming that He will come and reign for a thousand years in this world. God's word is prophetic and it is revelation for the hour that we are living in. Because still God's word says in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, God says that in the days gone by, in the days of old, and I'm paraphrasing here, He says that in those days I spoke to you through the prophets, 
that in these last days I speak to you through Jesus. Therefore, Revelation 19.10 says then that the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you go out there in this world and you witness Jesus Christ, it means that that testimony, testimony of Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy, it is operating in you through the Holy Spirit. Because then Jesus also confirms in the book of John that when he says that the Holy Spirit came to testify of him. And therefore it is mind-boggling. It goes beyond any reasoning why this world is still after more than 2,000 years trying to disprove this word. Trying to disprove that God says who he is and that Jesus Christ is the living son of God. Because nothing has changed concerning this. And yet the world continue on this path of destruction. One would think that after 2,000 years at least they would open it and read it and come to know that what God says about the devil is true. Why don't they search that in trying to see what it says, but they wouldn't because Jesus also said then, didn't he? He says, you are of the children of your father, the devil. For since the beginning, he was a murderer and there was no truth found in him. He is a liar and he is the father of it. And truthfully, we live in the hours such as this because even though times have gone, in the hour that we are in, God has prepared us for the moment that we are in. The Word of God is prophetic. And I'll give you a scripture that confirms the hour and the time in which we are living. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 to 4. Listen to what it says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, people will make up own beliefs and own faiths that suits them. Then says, because they have itching ears, they listen to what they shouldn't listen to. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They will go after false prophets, false teachers, those who are the prophets of the day and the apostles. The world is there, and they're going after this. And he says, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That is where the world today is, dear child of God. And therefore, a kingdom is coming much sooner than you and I can comprehend. We who believe in God look forward to this. We desire this to come, but there's still a journey for us to walk until that comes. I want to then, this being my introduction, I want to get to the foundational scripture that I want to read from today. And you may turn to your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 1. And it is strange to nowadays say, turn to your Bibles, because in the days gone by when I was a child, you would hear how the pages flick, how the people would get to the Bibles. But nowadays, it's online. You flick one or two but buttons and you've, and you've got it. You've got it right there. You can read your online version. And that's fine too, because the Word of God is the Word of God. 2 Kings 11, verse 1 to 3. Let's read together. And I read from the New King James Version. Now, when Athaliah the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. She arose, and one would think that she would cry and mourn. But listen, she arose and she destroyed all the royal heirs. 
But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah, so that he was not killed. And then verse 3, so he, this king, this young boy, or not king as yet, so he, Joash, was hidden with her, his nurse, in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. This particular event took place round about 2,900 years ago. And it is quite amazing that even through this, God speaks to us. You know, when we read this story, we think, what a nice story it is. And it is. At face value, we hear a story of a wicked woman trying to kill so many, and she did, kill so many young children. One was spared, and in the end, and if you read further in this particular uh, chapter, you would read and see in verse 12, it says that the boy then, after six years, he was presented before Judah, and he was then inaugurated and crowned as king. A few verses later, in verse 16, it then says that this wicked queen, Athaliah, that she was taken outside the city and she was killed. A great story. A great story because good triumphs over evil. And we can just leave it at that and that will be good enough for us. But God's word is so much more. And unless it is that we delve into it, that we meditate on God's word, that we truly search the scriptures, because didn't Jesus say, search the scriptures because it is they which testify of me. And unless we do this, it's only going to be good stories that we read, but there's so much more in this particular scripture, and we will cover it this morning. But I want to prove to you by virtue of an example of how amazing and fascinating God's Word is. And unless it is that we delve into the Scriptures and meditate on God's Word, we are only going to hear good stories, but not what God wants us to see. I want the team there, at the, the, well, in my back, uh, on my front, your back, to please just put up the first slide for me. I want to I show you an example of how absolutely profound God's Word is. In this particular slide, you will see a bunch of numbers. In the book of Numbers chapter 2, God speaks to Moses and Aaron and says to them, count all the army of Israel, every single tribe, put the numbers down. So these are the numbers of the men that were eligible for war, 20 years and older. But then God also says, divide them in clusters of four. And in each one of those clusters, there would be one tribe that would be the leader in those particular, amongst those particular tribes. So all the three, all the 12 tribes were divided in four clusters of three tribes. And there you see the numbers of each of those clusters. And you get an idea. Okay, if you can bring the second slide for me. And I want to show to you, it's more than just numbers. God Basically, you've got a picture here of how the army of Israel would camp around the tabernacle. This is where they would be situated. Very specifically, God says, Judah is the first tribe, and it, those three with him, with the tribe of Judah, they would be stationed and camped on the eastern side. 
from where the sun comes up. And then obviously on the opposite side, on the western side, you would have, if I have it right, it's Ephraim, yes. And so you would have the others too. So in the middle, you've got the ark and you've got the Levites that stayed there. But now I want to show you the next slide, if you can put that one up for me. You see, we just looked at numbers. But look at the view that God sees when He's in the heavens, when you look at the camp of Israel, where all the tribes. You see, when Moses went up the mountain and uh, Joshua went up the mountain to meet with God, this is what they saw. You see, the message of the cross has been in the Old Testament and all along this is what God sees when the Israelites would camp. The message of the cross still speaks today. It has never stopped and even there it was evident. Thank you, you can remove that for me. Yes, let's give God a praise offering. You see, child of God, if we read God's word, we will get to so much more. And we have asked God, Holy Spirit, to teach us, then he will reveal so much more than just the obvious of what we see. And I want to prove this today by looking at three things that God highlights out of this portion of scripture that we read out of 2 Kings 11 verses 1 to 3. Because... God speaks to us 2,900 years later still concerning His Word, and it's still relevant today. And you might think it is just a story about a king, but there is so much more. The first thing that God shows us that is relevant today still is that God is the God who protects. He still protects, irrespective of what the world is doing and what the world is saying. If you are a child of God, God protects. God cannot but protect you because He's a God who promises. And God does not renege on His promises. Therefore, you must know that you are protected. That is God's way of proving how holy and divine He is. You see, what happened 2,900 years ago is happening exactly today. In the days of those seven years of evil reign of Queen Athaliah, there was murder, there was betrayal, there was power mongering, there was power grab, there was false idol worship that was taking place, there was crime and there was corruption. Today, it is still the same. You see, evil don't change, evil just stay the same. But God's children are the ones who change and they are not moved by the things of this world. So you must know that God protects. This is God's will for our lives. God always protects what He has promised. And there's so much promises that we even pick up in this particular portion of Scripture. In Genesis 3 verses 15, God says this, that there will come a seed from the woman and that seed will be at enmity with the seed of the serpent. There's a promise that there's something miraculous going to happen. I'm not a medical person. In fact, I hated biology at school, so much so that when I had the opportunity to choose my subjects, it was the first subject that I dropped. But even Biology 101 tells me this. The seed doesn't come from the woman. The seed's the man, the woman, the eggs. I'm right, aren't I? So if God says that the seed from the woman, it means it's going to be superhuman, supernatural, divine. There's a promise that it will come and God will not renege on that promise. Then God also says in Galatians 3.29, which just emphasizes what he says and he promises in Genesis 17 concerning Abraham. God says this, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
2 Samuel 7, God says this of David, I promise you that there will always be a descendant from your lineage, and from that the Messiah will come. These are things that I'm going to prove to you how it relates to this particular scripture. But you must know, just as God promised this, you have got Satan who will always try and deceive and he will try to manipulate. Because I want to give you now some just quick historical context to, to, to um, uh, motivate this point that I'm making here. Now, at the time when this was playing off, Israel, the 12 tribes have separated. It's not the camp that you saw earlier with the 12 tribes together. Because of what? The sin of... One man, Solomon, sinned, worshipped false idols. So the 12 tribes split. In the north, you had the 10 tribes, and in the south, you had the two tribes. And in each one of these regions, you had 20 kingdoms before both of them went into captivity. The one was taken by the Assyrians and the one by the Babylonians. And all 20 kingdoms in the northern kingdoms, it is written of them, all 20 of those kings, it is written, and they did evil in the sight of God. There was an eighth king, the evil Ahab, and he had a wicked wife by the name of Jezebel. They were so wicked that she instituted Baal worship amongst the Israelites. But now let's look. When you consider the promises that we've just read that God made, look how Satan tries to manipulate this and how he tries to deceive. He knows that out of the 10 tribes in the north, there's nothing to be worried about. The Messiah is not going to come from there. The Messiah is going to come from the two tribes in the southern kingdom because that's the, the Davidic lineage. So he takes one woman and he takes the daughter of Ahab and of Jezebel and he lets her marry the king of the south. And what does Athaliah do? Exactly what her mom did. She institutes Baal worship amongst Judah. So you see now, Satan thinks he knows Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. He's going to manipulate the seed of the woman so that the, the coming Messiah's descendants will die there. So what happens? She marries King um, Jehoram. He is wicked himself. He kills his six brothers for their wealth. He kills the priests, even in Judah. Athaliah thinks this is great. And she goes and she institutes Baal worship. And and the tribes of Judah are destined for absolute annihilation. Added to this, Athaliah's husband now dies, and they have a son together called Ahaziah. He reigns only for one year, and then he dies. What does she do? She kills all those who will inherit, and she places herself to become the queen. Right there, Satan thinks, I've done my job, and I've stopped the seed of the coming Messiah right there. But God says not so. One child is saved because God is a God of promises and He will bring His promises into fulfillment. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. You know, it is bothersome to me that the world is still in this place where Satan deceives and Satan destroys lives. In the book of Matthew 8, uh, from verse 28 to 34, we read of the story and I just want to mention this particular place the country of the Gergesenes. We read of two men coming to Jesus and they were demon-possessed. Listen to this. They were demon-possessed and as they came to Jesus, they said to him, have you come to torment us before our time? And now the demon speaks. The demons in these men, they speak and they say to Jesus, 
please, if you're going to cast us out, cast us into the swine. If demons of hell know that they don't want to go back to hell, how bad it is asking for God, Jesus himself, to rather cast them into the swine, you must know how bad hell is. And many in this world don't know how bad hell is. In fact, they are going straight into that place. They are going to a kingdom, not, not, not this one, but into a kingdom of darkness. If the demons themselves feared hell and asking Jesus, rather send us into the swine because they know what torment awaits in hell. Why is this world and why are we allowing some people to go to hell? It is our responsibility to show them what Christ is and who He is so that they are not destined for that place that even the demons fear. It bothers me. It is bothersome that many in this world are going in that direction. The second point that God proves out of this portion of scripture is that God always provides. You know, not only is it God's will to provide for us, it is God's responsibility. God takes it upon himself to take that responsibility and say, because I've given you promises, I will provide for you. And all I want you to do is trust in me. All I want you is to Persevere in your faith because I will provide for you. You see, we say when we read this portion of Scripture, wow, it was a close call. Within one generation, within one boy, the messianic lineage was almost destroyed. That's how close Satan came. But God says, not so. God says, I had it covered all along. I was not moved by the works of Satan because God says this. He says, one child is all that I needed to keep the lineage going. I was never going to renege on my promises, irrespective of what the enemy plans. Because God says, my promise still stands. I will be true to my promises. And he says in his word, I am not a man that I can lie. The promises that God have for you in your life, dear child of God, and you are listening, those promises still stands. Can you believe in it? Can you own it? Can you take it for yourself? Because that is what God says for you. His promises still stand. And a kingdom is coming, not of this world, that you and I can look forward to. Because God says so, and it settles it for me. You see, it is so profound, the Word of God. And I'll prove to you once again how supernatural and how powerful and how divine God speaks of how in control He is. If we just take those three people, the the key players in this portion of Scripture, Jehoshua, her husband, Jehoiada, the high priest, the two of them when they hit the, the little boy, and Joash himself. If you just look at the Hebrew meaning of their names, you will see how frighteningly beautiful God is in control of all of this, never being worried. Listen to this. Jehoshua's name means this. God has sworn, for God is an oath. Jehoiada, the high priest, his name means God knows for God is well aware. Joash, the king to be, his name means this. God is strong for he is a blazing and a consuming fire. So when you put this all together and you, yes, let's give God a proper praise offering. Don't hold back, but give him a proper praise offering. 
When we put these three names together, listen to what God says. He says, God is well aware of what is going on. He is strong, a blazing and a consuming fire who will uphold this, the, the oath that He has sworn to uphold. This is what God is saying just through this portion of Scripture. And if God says so, it is so, and it still stands today. Why? Because God is eternal. You see, we often fail to see the way that God sees it. And I'll prove it to you as well. You see, we live in this world. We are moved by time. For all of us, there's a validity period. Things start and things end. There is a future, there is a present, and there is a past. But God stands outside of that time. God sees present, future, and past all at once. God exists outside of time. 66 books are written concerning one integrated message that there is a coming Messiah. But the origin of this message stands outside of time. He is not moved by time. We struggle and we battle in this life because where we stand in our frame of time, we look unto God and say to Him, Come and change our circumstances and our situations. Look how bad and how tough it is. Remove this boss that is so rude and is robbing me of my finances. Remove my spouse for he or she doesn't do what I want them to do. And because you are laughing, you are guilty. But luckily, there's forgiveness for sins. But we love all, don't we? Because God is in us. God says, stop looking in your frame of mind in time. He says, God says, reach out to me. Stop trying to pull me back into your situation. God says, reach out to me and connect with me so that you can see the way God sees standing outside of time. God is not moved by time. God is moved by your heart because He wants your heart to change. The moment your heart changes, your situation changes because you look at it differently. That is what God is all about because the moment you cast your eyes unto God and you reach out to Him, you are looking through the eyes of God and you see that this world has got nothing on you. Everything that you are involved in is temporal because you are fixed on the eternal prize of the kingdom that is coming of that God has for each and every single one of you. The last point that God shows us in this particular scripture is that God is preparing each and every single one of us. You and I are presently under construction. Joash was prepared. For six years, he was kept in the temple of God and he was prepared and then he was crowned as king and then he was keeping on being prepared to become a rightful king. And I'll, I'll point to this a bit later. You and I are continuously being prepared for what God has for us. And I want to prove this to you and tell you something today. And I think it's something many of us are missing. You see, some of us are in a panel beating um, shop at the moment. There's heavy, there's heavy construction taking place. But here is the thing. What are you being prepared for? God says that you are royalty if you believe. His word says that through the spirit of adoption... We are now joint heirs with Christ because Jesus Christ has reconciled us with the Father. Therefore, we are royalty. We have got a royal title, which is called child of God. 
You see, if we look at royalty in this world, when children are born into royalty, they are groomed. They go through to a grooming school. They are being educated to live, to speak, to behave like royalty. They have to follow royal protocol. They've just taken that from the Word of God because God says that we are royalty already through Christ Jesus. He says He's giving you crowns. You must know that you are royalty. But you know the reason why we miss it? Because we don't act like royalty. Christ is given to us as our tutor, as our example, as our role model of royalty. That is why God says, become like Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Start changing today and act like royalty. Your behavior must change to act like royalty. Your thinking must change because you are royalty. God says so, therefore you must be. What you speak will resemble whether you are a child of God or not. It is Christ in you that makes you reveal to the world whether you are royalty. The world must see Christ in you. They must see that you are royalty and that you belong to Christ by the manner in which you speak, how you behave, how you act, and what you do. This is what God is preparing each and every single one of us to start acting of that which is already ours, which is royalty. Start living it, and we must change to become like royalty. And if we are royalty, we are better than anything in this world because we are royalty of the kingdom of God, joint heirs with Christ. God is preparing each and every single one of us in the sea that we are in so that we can become that which we are already destined to be, which is royalty. And so it happened with many of those. Joash was prepared and he was being prepared to become like this. So it was with the disciples. Twelve of them for three years, heavy panel beating took place. Heavy construction. They had on the job training with Jesus Christ, but it didn't end there. They were only trained in those three years as disciples to become apostles. So it was with David, and so it was with um, another person I can quickly think of, Joseph. 13 years more or less, their preparation took place so that they could take up the place that they were destined here on earth to be. Joseph being the governor of Egypt, and David being the king of Judah and of Israel. I spent 23 years in the corporate world. Yes, 23 years, serious construction God had to do for me to come into full-time ministry. Was it tough? Yes. Was it worth it? Absolutely. But I'm in a new season of being prepared for that which God has for me. It never ceases and it never stops because we are changed day by day so that we can reflect Christ who is royalty. This is the work that God is busy with each and every single one of us. We are all under construction at this point in time. Samson, for 20 years, Samson was a judge in Israel. We all have heard the stories of how strong he was and what he did. But do you know that in those 20 years that Samson was a judge in Israel, Samson only did the things for himself, what he wanted. God was preparing Samson to bring destruction upon the Philistines because Israel at the time was under heavy suppression and oppression from the, from the Philistines. But Samson was only concerned about himself. He wanted to have a Philistine wife, not once, not twice. He even slept with another Philistine woman. The Word of God says that. 
And when he became angry, lo and behold, what did he do? Oh, he did marvelous things, strong things, picked up the doorpost and the door itself of a city and dropped it on a hill, took the tails of 300 foxes, bound them together, sent the foxes into the land to burn the land. He took the jawbone of a donkey and he struck a thousand Philistines. It was the power of God that came upon him every single time. Isn't it strange that when Samson lost his eyesight, at last he saw what God wanted to do. And in that moment, that last moment of Samson's life was the first time that he asked God to what he could do for him. That God would destroy all these leaders of the Philistines and nothing he wanted for himself. And even he said, I will lay down my life, take take my life as well. And God did that. Samson was prepared all along. He didn't realize that. He was prepared to cause destruction on the, Philippi, on the, on the Philistines. And right in the end, he did more damage with that good act, seeking God and not his own ways than he did in all the time that he was alive. In the end, listen, listen to this. In the end, what made Joash the king successful? Because he reigned 40 years and of him it is written that What he did was good in the eyes of God. What was his success? 2 Kings 12 verses 2 answers this. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the high priest instructed him. He submitted himself under a man of God. He followed God because there was someone that he could look unto, somebody that could instruct him, somebody who was walking the walk, somebody who was royalty already. In this house, we've got Pastor Harold, and all of us know he's a man who walks with God. And that's what we admire amongst many other things concerning him. But you, wherever you are, you are that man and that woman for someone else. You don't know perhaps who it is. You don't know who is looking at you to be that person who inspires another person to keep on track so that they are being prepared that they can enter into the kingdom which is coming soon. All of us are awaiting this kingdom to come. Those who believe, all of us. And you are playing a role in someone's life. Let God then continue with the preparation that He is busy in you, that it could be said from you as well, that in the end you did that was right in the eyes of God. Because a kingdom of God is coming, child of God. A kingdom is coming that is not of this world, and it will be soon. Be ready For soon you will enter into that place where you will receive the crowns and you will see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's stand and give God a praise offering. Amen. Amen. Yes, to God be the glory. To God alone be the glory. I now understand what Pastor Tiens and Pastor Harold and Pastor George means when they say time flies because I feel like I've just warmed up and I'm ready for another session. But you need to go because you want to be touched and moved and changed by what God has put in your heart. And this is my prayer for you, that something there in your heart is set in this day that will never be removed from you. That the day is coming when this kingdom will be permanent for you in every way of your life. Let's lift our hands to the heavenly God. Our Father God, Lord, we truly, truly are so grateful for what your Son Jesus Christ did for us that we truly can be called 
joint heirs with Christ. You have established it. You have promised it. And we believe it. May these people go in the peace of God. Lord, be with him wherever they go. Saturate them with your spirit even as they leave this building. Don't leave them. And even as you bring into fruition and completion the good work that you have started in them, that they may glorify you and that your spirit will rest upon all of us. Now, Father, may you live forever and abide in us. I pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.